right. Hi, everybody. I want to welcome you back to an episode of EI on the Fly, our podcast about all things early intervention. Um, This is episode three in our series on tele-intervention. And today we're going to talk about overcoming challenges. Emily and I have both heard um, lots of great things about tele-intervention. In our previous episode, we talked about benefits, but we also know there's been challenges as our field has shifted to um, providing services virtually. And I know in some, you know, some programs, these are called virtual visits, some are telehealth visits, whatever you call it. Um, we, you know, those that big shift that we, um, our whole field made um, at the beginning of the pandemic. And then I think the tele-intervention is continuing. So we wanted to acknowledge the challenges and share some strategies that um, we're hearing practitioners use um, to overcome some of those. So in a previous episode, I mentioned some survey research that I've done with a colleague of mine at Salem State University with um, Megan Schumacher-Murphy. We asked early intervention practitioners to tell us about their challenges. It was really interesting to find out that the two challenges that were mentioned most frequently, and these were by practitioners across 26 states. We mostly focused with in three states in Virginia, Massachusetts, and Illinois, but we got feedback from lots of other folks. Um, So the biggest challenges were actually families declining early intervention and providers feeling um, maybe not so effective or less effective with how to support parent-child interactions from a distance. Um, So I can say in Virginia, we certainly had, I've heard that from practitioners, families declining early intervention. Um, I heard that especially some of our families who, for whom English was a second language. I heard that for um, families declining EI, either because they didn't think it would work for their children, they just weren't sure how it would work, or it was especially during the pandemic, it was just so much stress and so much, so many things families were trying to handle to try to figure out how to do virtual early intervention was hard. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see though, as our field kind of adapts to doing tele-intervention, if families um, continue to decline or as we get more confident with it as providers, maybe families will feel more confident. I'm curious, Emily, did you guys have those, did you hear anything about similar challenges in your state? I think that though those were very similar challenges. I think the other thing is we do have some very rural pockets here in Massachusetts and connectivity issues was also a challenge of like how how can I offer this to to families that actually cannot access it because of, you know, where they're located. But um definitely the declining services. And we saw that in in our data too, you know, um, not only just our referrals were down, but our intakes were down and that like, it just went down each step, decline, 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 you know? And um, I remember talking about this with my colleagues, you know, from the parent perspective of like, I remember feeling like, you know, Colette, who all of you guys know, um, was in she was in preschool at the time, but I took her out. I was like, I just can't manage. I just can't manage it. And yeah, she was on an IEP and she needed services, but it was just what had to give at that time. And that was the thing that had to give. Um, So families were really forced with like figuring out what can I manage with, you know, everything that I have going on and what do I need to give up um, to make sure that like my mental health is okay and that my plate is not too full. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. You make a good point about the pockets in your state. We certainly have pockets where internet connectivity is a huge issue. Um, my, my mom even lives in this little valley in central Virginia, and you literally have to go stand up on a hill to even be able to text. Like technology is a big, a big challenge where she lives. Um, I've I also heard practitioners talking about their own confidence. So I think that speaks to that second one about effectiveness with supporting parent-child interactions. Just so different when versus being in person in the home versus trying to figure out how to support the parent-child interaction when you're just not there. I heard practitioners say they have to do lots more verbal explanations, be more purposeful with their words to help to help coach families. Um, I think it was our experience that practitioners who felt confident with coaching felt found it easier to feel more effective supporting those parent-child interactions. And but I and I don't I wonder too like if families who are already experiencing coaching maybe made that transition a little easier I don't know that but that sense of um, the ground under you shaking as a practitioner and now you've got to figure out how to do what you do without actually being present was I think pretty stressful but also it's been pretty amazing how practitioners have risen to the occasion to get to find ways around that one. Yeah, we. Uh... Same thing, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, people know that here in Massachusetts, we use the parents interacting with infants, um, which definitely has some parent coaching components, but we heard very similar things. If you were doing peewee and you were really confident and competent in peewee, it really flowed nicely. But um, I know here in Massachusetts, prior to the pandemic, telehealth wasn't like a choice. Like there, there was no, it was not, an approved service delivery model at all, right? And so you think about, you know, you've been doing early intervention for five, seven, 10, 15, 25, 28 years, always face-to-face -face with a family. I, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like to be like, I have to do it a whole completely different way. Like that's, I mean, I don't know if we've really stopped to think about that enough of like, the the whole way you did your job for all those years of experience you can't do it that way anymore and it's it's just different and learning new things especially when you're already stressed out and overwhelmed and tapped because of everything that's happening with life i mean that's that's a lot it is a lot and that's why i i love how our field like i said before has kind of risen to the occasion to figure it out so children and families could still at least the families that were able to take advantage of early intervention still had that saw that option it was same in virginia that we really weren't offering telehealth as a um, billable service really at all. I, I had heard about it in one area of our state where um, families live on an island that's hard to get to. So I, I don't I don't know if that actually worked out. This was years ago, but um, it wasn't an option like it's going to be a service delivery option now. So you you brought up the the challenge with technology and I think that's that's a that's been an I think the equity issues around technology have just really come to the forefront with the experience, all the experiences, medical, even outside of early intervention related to technology. Um, in the survey, challenges with technology was certainly something we heard loud and clear too. We heard challenges with bandwidth and reliable connections. And that one appeared to be for providers and for families. Like we couldn't take it for granted that all providers had really strong internet at their homes. 
um, we heard providers specifically mention family lack of internet connections or lack of a device um, or families who were sharing a device and maybe the other children who were at home at the time in virtual schooling, they needed to use it. Um, we heard providers say um, they had difficulty hearing or seeing as much, like trying to figure out how to help the parent position the device so that they could you know, try to do the best job they could having their their eyes through the camera on the child. Um, so we'll talk about more about, um, about access in another episode, but technology was a big one. We do have a clip we want to share with you guys from Christine, an early intervention practitioner, and she's going to share her experience with technology access. She's going to talk about some challenges, and then she'll talk about some tips for managing those technology challenges. So let's listen. Just the premise of telehealth is assuming that parents, caregivers have access to technology like a computer or a smartphone and have a reliable, fast, high-speed internet connection or cellular plan that's unlimited. And that, even just that access, depending on where you live in the country, may be limited. I know even for myself in, in the Denver metro area, um, depending on which street you live on, your connection with your internet provider may be great and then, then go over the next block to a different family's home and they may have the same service but very a poor connectivity. So that's the first challenge is just that the therapist and that the caregivers of parents have access to telehealth. Um, in a session that's going well, there are other challenges uh, such as limited bandwidth for Wi-Fi. I think the technology is advancing to the point where internet providers are able to offer more bandwidth for, for consumers. However, with more and more devices being used, um, streaming services, children at home with remote learning um, for their older kids, like there's also more of a demand on the, um, the amount of um, internet connection available at any time. Uh, if you're in an apartment, maybe you're on some sort of shared internet connection. Again, that um, can lead to some challenges. So one of the solutions would be uh, to try, if possible, to hardwire in the computer or the device. That's not very uh, feasible for most families. So then the next thing I suggest is that both the provider and the, the caregivers uh, turn off any other Wi-Fi devices that are in the house just for that time being for the session. So all of the Wi-Fi um, coming in can go to the session. Another option would be to um, decrease the demand of the, of the video platform you're using. So um, whatever service you're using to provide the telehealth session, the therapist may turn their camera off for a while so that the other side um, is using more of the available um, bandwidth. Even just movement on the camera takes more away. So um, if the therapist can sit still while the family's moving around, that will be helpful. Um, another option is for the parent to, and or the caregiver or the therapist is to do the video via their um, telehealth platform, but perhaps they're using their cell phone to call in. So the audio would not be taking up 
um, the bandwidth. So those are some options that have been effective for me when um, the technology isn't there 100% to support a whole 45 or 60 minute session. Um, there was some workarounds that have helped us get through it. All right. Well, I think Christine does a lot of the work for us. She does a beautiful job sharing those really good tips to help families manage the bandwidth. Um, I didn't know, uh, Emily, if there was anything that jumped out at you from what Christine said. No, I mean, I feel like just what she said is like, try each and every one of those, you know, some of them may work for you, some of them may not. And, and I think every single tip she gave is worth a shot, right? Like, the only thing you have to lose is better connectivity, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One other tip as she was talking, I thought about was, um, I had heard somebody who was able to only able to connect by phone with the family, but the family was actually able to text her videos. So she would, sometimes they would take a video, text it to her. And then that's what they would talk about when they had their telephone visit. So it was a pretty creative way. The family did have access to technology and the video on their phone. So they just connected that way. So, you know, sometimes whether it's by phone or video, I don't know if that might affect billing and all, depending on how your, your programs work, but it was a great solution to try to still see something and, and be able to provide some, some support to the family. So as you guys heard, Christine shared lots of strategies for overcoming the technology challenges. Emily and I are going to talk about strategies too that we've collected from providers during this episode. So um, hang in there. We're going to keep going and talking about the challenges, but we will talk, share strategies for overcoming too. Yeah. So some of the other things, Dana, that we've heard is around challenges related to providers managing their own family's needs, you know, such as when your children are in virtual schooling or you have, you're a provider where you still have kids that aren't school age. And so they're home while you're working from home. And, um, what does that look like? The other thing is challenges related to how tele-intervention feels to the service provider. And, and, you know, we've kind of talked about this, like, EI providers not feeling confident and competent in their ability to provide EI this way. You know, I heard a lot of people talk about like, I had to learn how to demonstrate strategies on a doll over video and, and what did that look like? And what did that feel like? You know, how to coach. I think even when you were just talking, you know, a minute ago about, um, some of the bandwidth things I was thinking about, even if you can't see a family because they live in a place where there is no connectivity thinking back. And I feel like I always do this back to series one of the functional assessment and really thinking about some of that active listening and asking good questions and, you know, questions like, well, what does that look like? Can you tell me more about how that looks like? How does he react when you do that? Like really asking a lot of questions so that you can get a really good visual picture of what the family is seeing, even though you may not be seeing it. And then, you know, Zoom fatigue. I, I I think we're all, we've all been there. I feel like I am still there. There are some days where I say to my colleagues, like, I'm not turning my camera on today. I just, I, I don't want to look at my own face one more minute. So I'm turning it off today. Um, and it, it, that's, that's real. I mean, especially if you're doing Zoom at work and your kids are doing Zoom schooling and maybe you're doing Zoom church and maybe Zoom therapy, like with your own mental health providers. And now you're doing Zoom early intervention. Like, 
that's a lot. <laughs> it well, It is a lot and it continues to be a lot. I know I think about, because I work remotely. I was working remotely before the pandemic. I think I, I live a lot of my life on Zoom and it is exhausting. It's exhausting. You know, one of the... Um, participants I remember in the survey said something like when we had an item on the survey about giving advice to f future early interventionists or other early interventionists based on their experience. And one person said, don't forget to move around. Like the Zoom fatigue was so real. She's like, it's so hard to just sit at my desk and look at my computer all day long when early interventionists are often used to moving and coming and going and taking, you know, driving here and getting down on the floor with the child here or going out in the backyard. And so just to sit all day and provide your intervention verbally, I think it felt hard, it felt hard to their bodies too. So it was a great, great um, advice. And I love what you've, you've brought up twice, something about mental health, like taking care of your body, taking care of your mental health, giving yourself a break from the computer and even just from the, the change of work is probably, probably super important. Yeah. Don't forget the value of a good fidget toy either. Like I always have something here at my desk to, to fidget with and play with and just kind of keep my hands busy. I feel like it helps me stay focused. It's not super distracting. I know that all of my children, um, their various ages had fidget toys when we were doing remote school too, just because it was like, this is a lot, this is a lot to have your body sit still. And, you know, I think school in person naturally built in a lot of breaks and same EI, you're in your car, you're up, you're down, you're moving where, when you're just sitting. So fidget toys can be a good tool. Fidget toys, absolutely stretching. I know sometimes in meetings, I'll just turn my computer off and I'm like glad people can't see me because I'm over here doing a yoga stretch or whatever. Like your back, your body just needs it. So yeah, we hope people are taking care of how it feels to be providers, but also just how it feels to be your in your body when you're, when you're doing this. Um, so one of the other differences or challenges we heard, and I thought this one was really interested, was differences in the lengths of visits and how that felt to providers and families. So some providers um, have said that they've shortened their visits. So when they were like, they might be providing an in-person visit that would be 45 to 60 minutes, but they found that when they provided a tele-intervention visit, maybe they did a shorter visit. But, it, but they were still getting a lot done in that visit. Or maybe instead of a 60-minute visit, they went to two 30-minute visits during the week because that was more comfortable for the toddler and the parent. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, um, almost like a way to still provide support to the family, but be flexible to how they can receive that support and how you can provide it. So I'm going to be interested to see across time again, if that one stays that we're doing, some places are doing shorter visits, or as we get more comfortable with tele-intervention, you know, I, I think it's just a different modality. So we do have another clip from Marty, another service provider, and she's going to share her experience with challenges around length of time for visits. I want you guys to listen to what she says about less than and more than related to her struggle with time. It has been challenging. <laughs> I mean, I think the technology that we're using, it has definitely some bugs for our population in particular. So children with reduced hearing um, need access to sound. And one of the challenges is that our speakers on our computers and on iPads and on phones or whatever technology a family has at home that they're using has limitations that are in that 
very spot that we're trying to alleviate for these children. So, you know, remedying that situation is actually something that allowed me to have some so co-presentation of things. So the parent really needed and was involved even more so in presenting things that I wanted a child to imitate or presenting the ling sounds or presenting things that a child would be able to hear much better live voice. So the challenge, the remedy for that challenge was actually something that should be happening in practice anyway, but the technology just made it, made it like impossible to do it any other way. You really can't expect a child to turn to sounds that they're not receiving access to clearly. And we want children to hear clearly. So the parent really became um, the caregiver that was there with me during the session became an integral part of giving child auditory access, which is so important. So that was one of the primary challenges that had to do with this technology. The other thing that was really challenging was just the duration of our sessions could not be managed to be the same length it was in person. So, you know, the, the challenge around that is that is twofold. One is the parent is feeling like I'm not getting what I used to get, right? I'm, I'm not getting the, the hour, the, you know, hour and 15 minutes I used to get, I'm only getting like 45 minutes, sometimes it would only be a half an hour. And so that can really be twofold in that if I'm feeling that too, like, oh, I, I, sh I really would love to still be seeing this child, like for, you know, the duration that I was, and this is less than, and so how can we make this a more than experience? Mm. Um, so that was a challenge because I think it can be anxiety provoking for both the service provider and for the families. And overcoming that challenge was not a quick fix. It wasn't something that we were able to do at our first visit virtually. We really had to work on that. It had to become something that together we could accept and we could even embrace a little bit. Um, embracing things that are liabilities, if you will. Um, it's just part of life. And I think having less time with a family allows them to determine priorities for that session. How long do we have? What do we want to do with our time? Um, you know, do I need more time with you and being able to answer questions back and forth? And can my child have a snack during this time? You know, are we wasting time? Like time became this issue Okay, so I love what Marty says about the, the reality of processing that less than, more than struggle. And I think that's that's a real struggle when we want to make sure we're giving families the best service that we can. We're going to hear Marty talk again, another little short clip about a minute or so about more than as she talks about overcoming this challenge and, and kind of a change in our perspective. So let's listen. At the same time, we have to talk about the positive impact that was children having more time with their parents, 
children having more time dynamically interacting with mom and dad and siblings off screen. And to value that, we had to acknowledge that sometimes less is more. And even though that's a hard thing to say, and I wouldn't have traded for the world not seeing my children for that same duration of time, and parents' um, upheaval of working from home and having siblings that had to be going to school online and all of the stress that that was that was created by that. But in those challenges of seeing families for less, it was an opportunity to talk about, but wait a minute, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not the one who's important here. You know, it's you as the parent and your time with them. Well, I, I really love what Marty says about, I think at the end there, what she says about it's really about their time with the parent. That seems to be at a nutshell, that's what early intervention is about. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 what we want to do. And we kind of discussed this even, you know, in the last episode around the research saying that, um, you know, when, when we work and we build strategies into people's everyday routines and activities, kids are really and truly getting more. And, and that's what we want. And, you know, I would think from a parent, if I had an hour and 15 minutes carved out and it only took a half an hour, you're probably going to use that time to, to try out some of those strategies and really think about how to embed them into what you're doing throughout your day versus just hanging up and then you're automatically off to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is one of those um, points too, that I've heard practitioners say that now that they're going back, at least in our state with doing in-person visits, I think they have to sort of rumble with that idea that like, oh, there are really good things about tele-intervention that we want to keep and thinking about length of visits and the impact on families during the visit and between visit. It's going to be interesting to see how that impacts the future of the field. So we've been collecting lots of tips for overcoming challenges um, that have been developed from these experiences. So Dana, tell us a little bit about some of the tips we've heard around overcoming challenges related to scheduling. Yeah, one of the scheduling tips I think Marty just talked about was scheduling shorter visits um, or maybe scheduling them at, you know, different times of day or frequencies that might be different than what they could do in person, which is kind of cool. Maybe offer visits in green spaces, especially if there's any um, health concerns, you know, if a child is medically fragile and can go out into the green spaces. Um, We certainly heard people off talking about green spaces when they were still trying to provide the intervention services when we were needy in the pandemic. So I think um, those outdoor spaces will continue to be a, a, a great option for families that want to want to visit intervention strategies there. Yeah, I think another thing that, you know, I've heard um, is scheduling shorter visits. So if you typically did once a week for an hour, making it, breaking it up into twice a week for 30 minutes, um, that might give you some opportunity to really embed some of those coaching strategies and also follow up on how those coaching strategies went and, and really sort of using the parent and their everyday routines and activities for the intervention. Um, So that's another scheduling um, 
tip that people may try. Yep. So we also heard um, scheduling or heard some strategies for what to do before the session, sort of to um, plan ahead or to help families think about um, what they can do to be prepared because this is a different way of receiving intervention. So I don't know, Emily, if you want to talk through some of these strategies or what have you heard? Yeah, I mean, some of the things we've heard is providing good instructions to the family about how to access a, sec- a session, you know, talk about... Um, we will talk about this more in length in future episodes, but, you know, giving families written or verbal information, thinking about even like flow charts or different FAQs that you could provide a family if you're all using the same um, platform, making sure that families know how to access it and then what to do if they run into trouble. Because that can also be really, really stressful of like, oh my gosh, my visit was supposed to start at 1130 and it's 1135 and I still haven't figured out how to sign on and my kid is getting restless and, you know, feeling like, oh. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I heard a practitioner suggest um, doing like a little 15 minute orientation, like quick, if it's Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever your platform before the actual visit sessions, maybe a couple days before doing that quick 15 minute visit just to help the family practice logging in and to talk about options about, well, what happens if you can't log in? Our our backups always just call me on the phone. They also talked about um, before the session, talking about where to position the camera, those kind of things, just to help the family feel more comfortable. Because we all have that moment of panic when we're trying to get into a meeting or something and technology isn't cooperating or we're just not sure what to do. It's 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 definitely like, um, I think it was Marty said earlier, anxiety provoking. Yeah, yeah. Um, we could be asking families to send us a short video ahead of time so that, you know, we have the opportunity to see what the child's doing, see things from the perspective of the family and their, you know, everyday routines, and then be able to use that as a jumping point of talking about the visit um, and and what went well and what didn't go well. Um And then we've also heard people talking about parking outside the family's home so that the family can use the provider's hotspot to log in, which is a a really good idea, you know, especially as, you know, here in Massachusetts, you know, there are pockets of the state where um, the virus is kind of taking over again, right? And numbers are going up and and we're getting concerned about... um, spreading the virus. And so that's another great idea is, um, you know what, I'm going to drive up, we're going to do it virtually, you can sign on to my hotspot, then you don't have to worry about your data. Um, and, and we can get the visit done. Yeah, that's a great idea. We ha- we that's a one I heard from a pretty creative one from some rural areas too. So the provider just stayed in her car and coached the family from you know literally twenty feet or whatever away outside. But it was a, a great um, temporary solution, especially like you said when the numbers are up and we've got to shift gears. Yeah, what have you heard, Dana, related to during the visit? Yeah, I've I've heard all kinds of really cool things, and you know since I've not been doing intervention, I've been so interested in what the people who are doing is finding that works. And one of the sentiments, I think I heard a lot in the survey feedback, you know, what people wrote, and I've heard providers mention on webinars and things is letting go of the need to work directly with the child. Like there's no expectation and we should not be telling families that their 18 month old needs to sit in front of the screen and interact with us for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour. So letting go of that need to work directly with the child 
which is grounded in our field's best practices anyway to support the caregiver and the support that caregiver that parent child interaction and we can do that through doing really good observation so people have talked about inviting families to carry the device around to show them different parts of the house to show them activities um, a provider said to me she's really using the show me prompt i love the show me prompt so the parent it mentions an activity and she said well could you show me could i watch you do that right now and she said she's got an entry into more family routines than she ever did when she was in person so that was really cool. Um, I've heard folks, and we've mentioned this before, um, talking about how they communicate with families. I think providers were relying a lot on modeling. You know, we do a lot of modeling, AKA playing with the kids. And so trying to figure out how to convey the support without always being able to model. So being really specific with how they how they described a strategy, being paying really uh, close attention to the words they used, providing really specific feedback when they watched a parent-child interaction. And rather than just saying, Oh, that you did a great job with that. They're really specifically saying, "Oh, I really liked how you did this." Or when you, you know, prompted her, you got down on her level and prompted her, she was able to watch your mouth and imitate the sound. Like really specific feedback, so the parent knows what to do. Um, we speaking of the modeling, um, I think you mentioned this before, Emily. We heard um, some physical therapists, in particular, I know, said they were and uh, occupational therapists were modeling with baby dolls or stuffed animals for things like positioning or stretching, and even one OT I know. Did modeling with um, feeding, some feeding modeling with how to hold the spoon and how to help, you know, hand over hand, how to support the child in using the utensil. So it was kind of cool. Um, one of the, another um, tip for during the visit is kind of, is joint planning or that reflection and review that happens at the end of a visit. Um, so ending the visit by coming up with the plan together for the next visit, for what the family wants to do between visits. I mean, that should be happening whether we are in person in families' homes or we're virtual. But I've heard providers say they're they are doing more with sending a reminder of the plan by text, sending the joint plan by email to the family, where maybe that was those were things they weren't doing when they were in person. They, those joint plans or the whatever that between visit planning was more discussed verbally. So some kind of cool ideas. And a lot of them are just tweaking probably things providers were doing beforehand yeah or even just being more intentional about the things you kind of some of the things we talked about are things you always mean to do but they yeah. tend to sometimes fall off your radar yeah we had one practitioner and i can't remember if i said this in the last episode but um one of my favorite quotes from the survey was she said it was, said something to the effect of it was amazing what the parent and child would do when she the provider got was out of the way and I thought that was pretty powerful that during the visit, she wasn't there to sort of take up some of that interaction space. So it was kind of cool. So we heard more, um, some more strategies um, about managing the workspace and the time while many practitioners were working from their own home environments. Now, I know some practitioners are doing like hybrids in some, some of our programs where they work from home sometime, they go to the office sometime. Um, so I, when we were in our original survey hearing about managing workspace and time, that typically was from their home environment. So um, let's hear some of those tips, Emily, about that, what we heard. Um, some of the things was scheduling visits around your own child's school schedule. You know, it might not be the best time to schedule a visit, you know, when you know the bus comes at 830, maybe don't do a visit from 8 to 845, because sometimes, you know, your kid's going to need to run in and ask this or that or, you know, make sure they got their lunch or yeah. all the things. Um, 
keeping a sign on your door so that your own family knows when you are conducting a visit. Um, this next one, I remember you gave me this early on in the pandemic too, as somebody that's worked from home is using a visual cue with your family so that they know you're working, either putting your work badge on or your, um, work shirt. Um, another thing that I try to do is like, I try to kind of pack as if I'm going to work because I know with my, three and five year old upstairs, if they're not at preschool, it's like an eight minute routine where they have to like recap what's happening and, you know, fill me in. And then there has to be 16 hugs and kisses, which are great, but it's just like, wait, I was just coming up for a cup of water where if I can make sure like I'm going to fill my water bottle, I'm going to bring some snacks down um, so that I'm not kind of going up and down and and disrupting their flow. Um, And we have a whole episode kind of planned about this and also a full episode about sort of managing some of the technology. So some of the things we talked about today, we just kind of touched upon, but we have plans to talk definitely more in detail about. Um, Dana, what about peer support? What have people been saying about peer support and, and some strategies they could use around that? Yeah, I know I heard supervisors saying that some of them were really having to shift and find ways to support their staff at a distance and encourage peer support because folks were working in different locations. You can't just pop into each other's offices quite in the same way. Um, So I've heard supervisors and folks meeting with peers using the same platforms they're using to meet with families. So using Microsoft Teams, using Zoom, whatever the the platform is that um, they would typically get on, they're doing... um, purposeful interactions online together. So making time to get together. And it could just be like staff meetings and stuff, you know, those times when you kind of just have to get together as a team. Um, But I heard supervisors and others coming up with opportunities for staff to connect. So maybe it was a book club, or maybe they had a virtual coffee hour or a virtual lunch hour. I know in our state, we have um, one program that I know of that's doing did some online training with their staff before, but has really been embracing the, the the opportunities to meet online and trying to be really creative about building in breakout rooms and opportunities for staff to talk about and support each other. So it's not just supervisor to the staff person, but it was colleague to colleague trying to figure out how to support each other as they're learning and now continuing to implement a new service delivery approach that, that was probably different than what they were used to. So I, I really, you know, Give, give some props, I guess, to the supervisors who are trying hard to not only support their, their staff in adopting this, you know, way of, of providing early intervention, but also trying to figure out ways for the staff to support each other emotionally, too. So like you mentioned that earlier, Emily, with the mental health piece, um, it's, it was a big change and it continues to be. But I know we have quite a few providers that have never done it a different way now. They were hired during the pandemic and they've only worked with their teams virtually. So um, I think lots of good creative ideas have come out of it. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, Dana, like managing a virtual team is different than managing an in-person team. And I know that there's a lot of, you know, business, uh, like resources and support around managing a virtual team. And people may also want to look at some of that, not from the early intervention perspective, but from like the business perspective, because there's people out there that have been doing that for a really long time um, and can give you a lot of, as a supervisor or administrator, give you a lot of tips and techniques about um, ways to do that, that make people feel supported and engaged and also um, 
you know, make sure that you're getting what getting and giving your staff what they need. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. All right. Well, that is what we have for today. So um, thanks for joining us. Today was a really interesting conversation. And I love the fact that we're having this opportunity to talk about telehealth from all kinds of like the good, the bad, the things that need improvement. Um, So we hope you'll join us in future episodes. We're going to be talking about things like supporting the parent-child relationship, evaluations, IFSP meetings. We're going to continue to talk more in depth about um, some of the technology and um, lots of the things that we've kind of touched upon already. We have plans to talk more in depth. So I hope you'll join us next time. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.